how many of you been watching the Olympics? How many, how many Olympic? Hold your hand. I just want to see. How many of you been watching? Wow. Maybe I should say how many of you have not been watching the Olympics. It's most of you. Uh, I, I love the Olympics. Like I'm a, I'm a junkie. You know, if I had more time, I could just, I could just zero in and, and watch everything. I, I, I was thinking about some of the incredible people who we've met this year who've been competing uh, in, in the Olympics. And I just want to list some of them, and I want you to imagine what would have happened had they never enlisted in the Olympics. So uh, go ahead and put the first picture up. Simone Biles, maybe, maybe you've seen her. This is a phenomenal young lady. Uh, people say, who know, I wouldn't know the difference, that she's probably the greatest gymnast the, the Olympics has ever seen, male or female. And when the uh, U.S. team won, even though she's the greatest probably in world history, our team was so good they could have won gold without her. I mean, that's how, that's how, can you imagine what the Olympics would have been like, what the world would be like if she had never tumbled or, or stretched or found that strength inside of her? Can you imagine how our world would be different? Maybe you've seen this guy, Usain, Usain Bolt. How many of you know who Usain Bolt is? The fastest man who ever walked the earth, the fastest human that's ever walked the earth. We're told that he's not even supposed to be able to run that fast because he's too tall. Somebody never told him, apparently. But can you imagine when this guy grew up in Jamaica, can you imagine what his life would be like had he never ran? It would be completely different. Simone Manuel, maybe you haven't heard of her. I'm highlighting her because she, she... has received a special honor and has done a special thing that I wanted to highlight. She's 20-year-old. She's the first African-American female swimmer to win an Olympic medal. Now, I think that's a big deal. Isn't that cool? Can you imagine what would have happened in her life had she never swam? What if, what if she'd have never known that that was in her? Now, maybe you know this guy, uh, Coach K., most people call him Coach K because they can't pronounce his name. Coach K. Coach K, maybe you don't know who he is, he has coached the, the U.S. Olympic basketball team in some fashion or another for years. Let me tell you what his record is. His record as head coach of the U.S. basketball team is 79-1. and one. Like, that's good. I don't know if you know that. That's awesome. 79 and 1. What would have happened if this guy would have never touched a basketball? Now, maybe if he never played basketball, we'd never know the difference because he wasn't a great basketball player, but that's the way he became a coach. What, if, what, would, be, what would be different? And then you probably know these two, Katie Ledecky and Michael Phelps, right? They're swimmers, and there's Michael Phelps, and he's in his own, uh, you know, I started to list for you how many medals he's won, but I think what we need to ask is what day is it? Because he's winning medals every day. It's hard to keep up with. I think it's 28. I'm not totally sure about that. And, and maybe you caught this story. I thought this one was, was worth highlighting. Uh, David Bodiah and Steele Johnson. How many of you know, know their names? U.S. Olympic Divers. Who, when interviewed, I think they, I think they won silver. But here's the reason I'm, here's the reason I'm highlighting them. When they were interviewed, they said, "This is one of the greatest honors of my entire life, but it's not where my identity comes from. Like when the Olympics is over, I'm still going to be who I am because my identity comes from Christ." They said that 
And had they never got in the water, had they never swam, they would have never known how good they were at it, and they would have never been able to testify for Christ on international television. That was translated into who knows how many languages. So uh, we look at these people and we say, what would their life be like? What would their family's life be like? What would the people around them life be like if they had never found out what they were so good at? This reminds me so much of what Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1. We started a series last week we've just called Made for More. So here's the thing. Paul is telling Timothy. Paul's in prison. He's dying. This is his last letter. This is his, um, his, his ministry is ending. And he's sending to his number one protege. He's sending to his spiritual son, I got no time to fool around. I'm dying. This is the last time you'll hear from me. Let me tell you some things that are very important. And that's the tone of the book of 2 Timothy and how it comes to him. And he basically says this to Timothy. You have greatness inside of you, but you have to reach for it. It's not going to come find you. You have to reach for it. So last week we talked about how Paul said, I see the sincere faith that lives in you and first lived in your grandmother and your mother, and that's awesome. I see that your faith is sincere since I know your faith is sincere, I'm going to go a step further. Now, here's the step further. So, in the vein of the Olympics, in the vein of 2 Timothy 1, in the vein of Paul, the great apostle, who's dying and writing to his number one protege, who's going to carry the work on after he's gone, Paul sounds more like a coach than a missionary or an apostle or a pastor. He's coaching at this point. So if I say something to you this morning that sounds like a coach, don't get mad at me. Get mad at God in 2 Timothy. It's not my fault. 2 Timothy 1.6. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Fan into flame is a very common phrase used in that day. Most houses would have had a little fire right outside the home. And here's really how it worked. Uh, there's this little fire pit. It would rear up and go down and rear up and go down. And there'd be little embers in there. And so the idea was to never let the fire go totally out because then you'd have to restart the whole thing, but to leave the embers there. And when it was time to cook, you would take some wood and you would throw it on the fire and you would take a fan and you would fan it. Everybody get your fan. Hold your fan up. Everybody hold your fan up. Come on. Come on, everybody, it's an all skate. Everybody on the floor, everybody. Now just fan. That's just what you do. You just fan. There you go. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. So you fan the flame, and what would happen is, is it would catch that wood on fire, and that fire would heat up, and now, now it would be ready to cook. So Paul would have seen this routine on a daily basis. Timothy would have seen this routine on a daily basis. And so it's, it looks something like this, just a little fire, just a small fire, just picture a little flame. We fanned it, and now it's beginning to heat up, you know, uh, uh, in front of their eyes. And so this is the picture in 2 Timothy. Here's the picture. When Paul wanted to describe something he wanted Timothy to remember, this picture that he would have seen every day at mealtime came to his mind. He said, Timothy, just the way that you see so many people fan the flame of a little fire because it's time to cook, 
I'm reminding you to fan the flame of the gift that was put inside you by God. So here's what 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1 is about. You're never going to get the kind of fire necessary if you stand there and look at the embers. Somebody has to pick up the fan and somebody has to fan the flame so that the fire can heat up, get hotter, and do what it was intended to do. It was intended to heat things up, to cook things. So Paul's saying to Timothy, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of your sincere faith. But being sincere is not going to be enough. I don't want you to just have a sincere faith. I want you to have a high-impact faith. I want you to have a faith that moves churches forward, that moves the purposes of God forward in the church and in the world. And in order for you to do that, you're going to have to pick up a fan and you're going to have to fan the embers, the the, uh, smoldering uh, spiritual embers that were put in you that, that he calls spiritual gifts. In other words, he's saying, look, I'm gone. I won't be here to help you anymore. You're on your own. It's your responsibility to do it. Now, some of you may be saying, all right, now time out. I'm not even totally clear on what a spiritual gift is. So so what does it mean, fan into flame the spiritual gift? So what I want to do this morning is just give a quick little side teaching on spiritual gifts so that we can kind of all be on the same page. Now, There's different kinds of spiritual gifts in the Bible, and I want to be very clear about the kind that I'm talking about today and Paul was talking to Timothy about. There are spiritual gifts that you'll find in the Bible that the Holy Spirit will bring into a situation to get God's will done. In other words, God will give a spirit-filled believer the supernatural ability to meet the need at the moment, and then that ability goes away. So there are gifts of wisdom. There are gifts of discernment and faith and prophecy and healing. There'll be a moment where somebody's sick. The Holy Spirit will show up. He'll give somebody the gift of healing, and that person will be healed. That is momentary. That person does not own that gift. That person cannot heal people whenever they want to. Those gifts are in the Holy Spirit. He's the owner of them, and he gives them out at his will. Now, Those are not the kind of gifts that we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to talk about the kind of gifts that are inside you, that reside in you, that are there, that are there all the time, that God has given you as a trust. And this is the kind that Paul is talking to Timothy about. So let me give you some thoughts about those gifts. Here's the first one. A spiritual gift is an ability given to you by God so that you can be good at something that your church, your community, or your world needs. So we all have natural talents. We all have things we can do. In addition to those natural talents, what this verse describes to Timothy is we all have, all Christians, all believers, have supernatural talents on top of those natural talents. They usually complement the natural talents. And those talents are given to you by God to help you be good at something that moves God's purposes forward. So here's the second thought. Every Christian has at least one spiritual gift. Don't ever say, I don't have a gift. 
I was one of those Christians early in my faith that I would look around at how good other people were at things, and I would say, I don't think I'm good at anything. I don't think I have any spiritual gifts. And let me tell you what it came down to for me. I had to stop believing my emotions, and I had to start believing the Bible. And when I started believing the Bible, I realized that God had put gifts in me even though I didn't know what they were. And I had to find them. So I'm convinced today by my own experience and by the authority of Scripture that you have gifts inside you whether you know they're there or not. There are no exceptions. 1 Peter 4.10 says, each. Somebody tell me who that includes. Everybody. Each one of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve. All right, so here's the third thing. Spiritual gifts come from God. The word, the Greek word is uh, charismata, which means grace gift. You cannot earn a spiritual gift. You can't work hard enough. You can't be faithful enough. You can't earn spiritual gifts, and you don't deserve them. God doesn't give you grace gifts because you did something good. He gives you grace gifts because he's sovereign, and he is chosen, and he is decided, and he is picked. And he gives you those gifts. They are, they are from him, and they are a gift. And there's a specific reason that he gave you the exact gifts that you have. And what God will do one day is he will bring a convergence of your life, of your passion, of your experiences, of your gifts. He will bring them together in an exact season, in an exact time, and you will look back and say, and now I know why God gave me this gift. It is for this purpose. Here's the fourth thing. Most scholars agree the spiritual gifts listed in the Bible are not all the gifts. Because there's so many, there's different lists of gifts in the Bible. They, they overlap, they're confusing, no one list is comprehensive. So most Bible scholars today agree those lists are not intended to be, here's the list of the gifts, there, maybe you'll find 20, 21, 22 in the Bible, here's, here's all of them but that the Holy Spirit has the sovereign ability to add gifts as the need arises. So they're, not, they're a representation of the kind of gifts the Holy Spirit gives, not an absolute list. So how do you find the gifts God gave you? If you're going to fan them into flame, how do you find them? Well, let me give you some thoughts this morning. Read everything you can find about spiritual gifts. There are four or five places in the New Testament where we read about gifts. You can read about those there. Uh, and look, I, I'm not even making a joke. Google it. Google spiritual gifts. And you're going to get 9.3 million posts are going to appear. Just start cutting your way through some of that. It's a lot of information out there. Another thing you can do, and we put this inside your bulletin. If you have a bulletin, look at it with me. You can go to live streams. Every, uh, every fall and spring, we teach classes on how to find your own spiritual gifts. And so you can see our schedule. We run two cycles this fall. I'm going to encourage you, if you don't know what your gifts are, to sign up and to go through those classes because... We have narrowed down the four most important things that every Christian needs to know and needs to know how to do. And one of those in class 301 is information about 
uh, your spiritual gifts. So I want to show you uh, the, the, what we use in that class. We call it design. So in other words, we help you find what is your desire, what's your passion, what experiences in your life have shaped you, what are your spiritual gifts. That's where we spend 75% of the time. Individual style, personality, growth season, what's your maturity level in faith, and what are your natural abilities. When you put all of that together, you can see how God has made you, and that is the, some of the, uh, the way to find the most clarity on what it is then he wants you to do. Now, maybe you've been through it and you say, I still don't know what I'm supposed to do. I want to encourage you, if you want to take a refresher on 301, sign up for just 301 and take it again, and, and let us help you figure that out. You can also talk to your friends. What spiritual gifts do you see in my life? Because they may see them clearer than you do. And they say, oh man, you're incredible at this. But let me give you the absolute way, I think, the absolute best way to find your own gifts. Trial and error. <laughs> you will learn more about the gifts God has put in you by doing something than you will by just watching or waiting or reading. So here's what I'm going to do this morning. I'm just going to describe it like this. Let's pretend for a minute that uh, there's this pool right here, okay? It's a big swimming pool, and there's this diving board. So here's what you want to do. You want to read all you can read. You want to go to live streams. You want to go to 301. You want to ask your friends. You want to Google it. You want to read everything in the Bible. You want to get, get the information you can get. And then once you get it, get out here on the diving board and then jump in. <laughs> Just jump in. Start serving. Serve somewhere. Start doing something. Start, start getting involved and watch and see what happens. Now, most of the time, this first jump is sort of good. Like, sort of good. It's not totally good, but the, but the first time is usually sort of good, and, and you're working in that area, and you think there might be more to it, but what happens to most people, and I've watched this for over 20 years, is they get in, they swim, things don't go exactly like they had dreamed that they would. They think because now they found that God gave them a gift or God has a plan for their life, they think everything's going to go perfect. And when it doesn't go perfect, they, they get discouraged, and they swim over here to the side, and they get out, and they get in a pool chair right here, and they sit down, and they watch. I've seen it. And they sit in a pool chair the rest of their life. And I've watched people all my ministry. I've done pastoring in four states. I've only done pastoring almost my entire adult life, and I've watched it over and over and over. And sometimes I'll ask people, hey, let me ask you something. Where do you serve? And they'll start in. Well, back in 1995, it's 2016. Back in 1995 is guiding what you do today? Well, back in 1995, you know, you see, I jumped in and I swam a little while and, 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 and uh, my gifts didn't fit perfectly where I started and things didn't work out the way that I thought they would and maybe my gifts weren't appreciated the way I thought they would be and I'm in a different season now and I've done my time and I've done and I've served and so I get out of the pool and I sit there. And, and I've listened to people spiritualize this over here. And tell you all the reasons. And they look at me like, what should I have done? I can tell you what you should have done. You should have realized that this chair is never an option for a person with sincere faith who takes God seriously. It's not an option. 
Because God put gifts inside you for a reason. The idea is you jump in, and when it doesn't go perfectly, and I almost promise you it won't, you, here's what you do. Instead of going over here, then you say, you know what, I'm going to try this over here. And you move to a different part of the pool. And you try a different ministry, and you try a different role. And you try, every time you make that move, you probably are getting a little bit closer to where you, your sweet spot is. And I'll be totally honest with you this morning. It will likely take you a few moves, and if I'm completely honest with you, a few years to find the sweet spot that God has called you to be. But if you stay in the pool, I promise you the day is coming when you will say, this feels like magic. I can't believe that God is using someone like me to do something like this. I can't, I can't believe it. I'm overwhelmed. You, the day is coming when you will know your gift, you'll have it on the right team, at the right time, in the right season, at the right context, and it will be absolutely overwhelming. And then that's when I say you have two other things that happen after that. The first one is fulfillment. You sense an internal level of personal fulfillment that blows you away and you say, I can't believe God would use somebody like me to do something this incredible. And then you get feedback. People around you, as I said, generally see you clearer than you see you. And they come around your life and say, it is so obvious to me that God is using you in this way. It is so clear to me what God is doing in your life right now. It's incredible. And if you'll keep moving, and if you don't get out of the pool and you keep searching, you will find that fulfillment and that feedback. This summer, I had an opportunity to talk to a man who used to be in a plumbing business. Very successful on a managerial level. And uh, long story, God called him to pastor. <laughs> so he went from plumbing to pastoring. I have no idea. But he was this church in Tampa. He started pastoring. He and his wife, and he had an unbelievable gift of evangelism. And the church doubled. It went from 250 to 500, and and almost most of the people that were new to that church had never been in a church in their life, had never had a church home, had never had a church family, or hadn't had one in years and years and years and years and years. They're way out there. And look, I met some of them. I tell you, they hadn't been saved long. I promise you. And, and what was happening was a miracle. And I got a chance to talk to he and his wife this summer, and he says to me, I, I feel this gift of evangelism in me is so strong, and I feel God's opened the door for me to go back in the corporate world, back in the marketplace, because I think it's a better place for me to use this gift of evangelism. And they were not disappointed they were not discouraged. They were thrilled. <laughs> and the impact that he had on that church, he and his wife were incredible. And now the impact they're going to have as they transition on is going to be even more incredible. When I was a, um, a young teenager, or let me say it this way, before I was a Christian, I never, when I say this, I'm not exaggerating. I, my, I have an older sister. She was very... Um, you know, type A, and, and, and she, they kind of ran the house. And not one time in my entire life before I was a Christian have I ever led anything. 
I never led anything, not in a classroom, not in the lunch table, not on a sports team. Nowhere, no time ever had I ever led anything once. When I became a Christian early on, I, I didn't know what to call it, but I found out that God had given me the gift of leadership. And I'm telling you, since early in my Christian teenage years, from the time I was saved, from the time I sensed that inner, even though I didn't know what to call it, there's never been a season in my life in all those years that I haven't been leading. I've led all my adult life. Now here's the the thing. Wonder what would have happened had I never got saved. Wonder what I would have missed. I wouldn't be here because I don't think I would have ever led anything because that spiritual gift would have never been given to me. What if I'd have never found that gift? What, what would I have done with that? If the Holy Spirit has graced your life with incredible supernatural capabilities and they allow you to move the church and the purposes of God forward in this world, and if using those gifts would overflow you with deep fulfillment from God himself, that your life could be used for God's glory. If all that's true, why is it you think that so few people who follow Jesus know what their gift is and are using it? Why is that true? Look, I've been counseled all my life by older ministers who all say the same thing. In every local church, it's the same. 20% of the people serve and 80% of the people don't. And I've had to ask myself in 20-something years of ministry, why is that true? Why is that true? Do we just accept it? Is it in the Bible somewhere? Is there a lost book in the New Testament I don't know about? Why is that true? And so I've come up with a few reasons I want to give you this morning, and then we'll close. Usually it sounds something like this. Somebody says, I never got around to finding my gifts. Now, let's just call that what it is. That's good old-fashioned complacency. It's never really been a priority. Look, if, if, how, how bad would you feel if somebody gave you a winning lottery ticket and you found out later that you, you had the winning number and you would have won millions of dollars, but you never got around to checking if the number matched or not? How bad would you feel? God has put inside of you unbelievable spiritual gifts. And how bad will you feel one day when you look back and realize they were in there, they were given by him, you didn't deserve them, and he put them in you for a reason, and you didn't use them. Sometimes people say, you know, I'm just too busy. Just too busy. I think that we generally do what we want to do. And we invest in the things that are important to us. Maybe a better way to say it is, I just don't think what the Bible says about spiritual gifts is true, or I just don't think it's as big a deal as the Bible says it is. Now, here, here's, the, here's another reason I found, and I wish I had more time to unpack this one, and I don't. I think that most pastors don't help people find their gifts and use them. Most pastors do not do that. That's because most pastors are so busy doing ministry that we don't have time to help anybody else find their ministry. I'm convinced there's a fundamental misunderstanding in the church universally about what the role of a pastor is. When I found out God called me to do ministry, I misunderstood his call. I thought it was a call to do ministry. 
God didn't actually call me to do ministry. God called me to help you find what your gift is so you can do ministry. But I didn't understand that. I misunderstood it. I think we've misunderstood it mostly in the church. Ephesians 4 says it. So Christ himself gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for what reason? To equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Listen, here's what I've concluded. Here's the conclusion I've come to. I can't do my ministry so good and so often and so faithful and so effective to you that it will make you strong. But you can. You can do your ministry. You can use your gift. And when you use your gift, Ephesians 4 says, you are strong and the body of Christ is strong. When you fan into flame that gift that was put into you, there starts to come a fire. And you will be strong. Look, the the negative effect of us not finding the gifts God gave us and using them is that the church stays weak and we individually in our own Christian faith stay weak. Now, I I wish I had more time to talk to you about that. In the last 12 months, our pastoral staff has worked on nothing but that. How do we do better as pastors of, of stop doing so much of the ministry and start finding people's gifts and equipping them for the ministry God gave them to have. When God asks you one day, what did you do with the gifts that I gave you? I hope that I will be able to say, Lord, I found at least one of my gifts as leadership. I found it, and, and, and I used it, and I fanned it, and I read a lot on it, and I studied the Bible, and I wrote papers about it, and I got a degree in it, and I practiced it. And Lord, I, I, I've tried, I've tried to fan the gift you've given me and, and make it impact for you as much as I can, and I hope that that's been pleasing to you. When you meet God one day and he says, what did you do with the gift, the spiritual gift, that I put in you, I hope the least you'll be able to say is, I found it and I fanned it. I hope you'll be able to say it. So what is the dream of God? When God looks at a church like Kingwood, what, what is the dream of God for a church like ours? I'll tell you what his dream is. His dream is that 100% of us find the gift he put in us and we fan it. That's his dream. And when that happens, when that happens, it, look, look, it looks something like this. It becomes, can you imagine God's dream for our church is that we fan and fan and fan and that little flame becomes a roaring bonfire. I promise you, if 100% of the people at Kingwood Church at Call It Home found their gift and fanned it, you would be shocked what God would do. He would rock this county. It would change everything. It would blow you away. This morning when you pick your children up at Big City, when you pick your middle schooler up at Epic Middle School, when you go to Critterland or the nursery, if you go to a life group this week, you're going to be impacted by people who found their gift and are using it. Aren't you grateful that the worship team found their gift? Like we've got worse singers, I promise you. I'm one of them. 
We've got people who can, who can play much worse. But aren't you grateful that these folks found their gift and boy, when I come through the building on Wednesday night and I hear them in there rehearsing and saying, no, no, don't do that, no up, no, not down, no this, no a little bit faster, no a little bit slower. You know what they're doing? They're fanning and they're fanning and they're fanning. And that gift catches into a roaring fire. And, and this is what Paul was telling Timothy. Shouldn't we be grateful today that the people around us found their gift and, it, and are fanning it? What a joy it is. I wonder who is waiting for you to find your gift. I wonder what weakness exists in our church because you haven't found your gift yet. I wonder what weakness exists in your faith because you haven't found your gift yet. Paul, Paul says, look, I'm not mad at you, Timothy. I'm dying. I won't get to say this again. Please, please, pick up the fan and fan the flame. Fan the flame. Have a sincere faith, thank God. But have a high-impact faith. The faith that God gave you is not just for you. It's for those around you. And if you fan the flame, turns into a roaring fire that glows and heats and illuminates and impacts and changes the atmosphere in a region. If you find the gift, you fan it into flame. So today, we, <laughs> today we've done coaching. Not so much the normal stuff. Inside your bulletin, there's a um, little card. And I just want to encourage you. I have a responsibility as a pastor to say to you, one day God's going to ask you what you did with the gift he gave you. And I, and, and I feel like today, it's better for us to ask that question of ourselves in preparation of the day that he asked us. And so I want to encourage you, fan the flame. Find the gift. Nobody can find it for you. Nobody can fan it for you. You have to fan it. You have to find it. It's your turn. So look inside the, the little deal there. And all you need to do is sign up. If you want us to help you find that gift, we can help you. It's not going to be perfect, but it's good. And it's going to help. And it gives you a place to start. It gives you a step to take. It gives you something that you can do. Would you stand with me this morning? If you want to take that step this fall, sign up there. You can drop it off at the Welcome Center on your way out this morning. I want to pray for you. 
and I'm going to ask the worship team to sing this song one time through, and we're going to go home. Would you close your eyes today? And, and if your heart's been stirred, if the Holy Spirit is stirring your heart, I, I want to just pray for you. Holy Spirit, I thank you today that you are here in this room. You are stirring and you are making us uncomfortable. You're making us, you're stirring us up that we might reach for that gold medal. We might reach for that greatness. We might reach for that which you have called us to be and to do in this hour of renewal. And so, Lord, I pray this morning that you would give us clarity on the gift that you've given us. And I pray that you would use us. You would use us. With every eye closed, if that's you and you say, you know what, I just want God to use me, would you just lift your hand and say, God, I want you to use me. Lord, I want you to use me. I make myself, my uplifted hand is my way of saying, God, I make myself available right now. With your hand lifted, I want the worship team to sing this song one time through, and it's going to be a closing prayer. Lord, I give myself to you. I give myself to you. I give myself away so you can use me. I give myself away. Lord, I give myself to you. I give myself to you. I give myself away so you Thank you for the joy of knowing that we were important enough to you that you gave us gifts and you invite us in to your ministry of changing lives. Help us to find that spot and to know the joy that you know when lives are changed. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thanks for being here today.